who are serving the Lord in such incredible ways, ways that none of us probably would think about doing Les Miserables. I can't imagine that. <laughs> but uh, God is using that in a wonderful way, and we're really grateful for that. God works in such strange ways, in such wonderful ways. And so we're thankful for what you're doing, Vlado, and we just pray that God will continue to you know, work, help you in your ministry. And uh, again, he said, I have my bookmark in here that I have in my Bible that I read in the morning. So he's got some markers over there. It would be a way for you to remember him. At this time, many of the children that are ready to go back, here comes Becky, Gail. We can have them come back. Kara, it's over there. I do want to remind you, by the way, that next week, next Sunday, is our second anniversary. It's hard to believe. In some ways, it seems like yesterday, and in other ways, it's like, yeah, it's been a long two years. But God has been so faithful, so good and gracious to us. And so we're really hopeful that the next Sunday would be a great time. Craig Schill will be, the pastor, will be speaking. And um, I think he said his theme is on perseverance. And they have known a lot from their church how difficult it can be. I think they said they, lived, they were in five different places before they got to the place where they're at now. I had a shudder when I heard that word. Um, but we have to follow whatever God gives us, and he's been so gracious to us, and we're glad for that. So let's pause with a word of prayer. Father, we are thankful. How good you have been. And we thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus, that we know that we can come before you and know that you know our needs, you know our, ne you know our struggles, and we thank you, Father, that we can come to you and know that you are the Lord, the King, and one day we'll be in your presence forever. We ask that you'd be with us now. Help us as we continue in this series. We ask that you'd be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. As you might know, as many that have been here, we've been working on a series that's been going from the beginning of the time of Samuel as a little boy to now we're getting near to the end of that series. And what we're going to be doing this morning, we're going to be doing a little bit of review just to make sure everybody's literally on the same page, or I should say maybe on the same screen, to remember what has been going on. You may have mentioned, seen in the message that the title of the message that I put here was called Desperation. And I think that was a good title to describe what's going on in Saul's life at the, this time, in a very, very difficult time. Just a little bit of review and background of what's going out. You may remember we had that incident that was interesting about David and Nabal and Abigail and how David, she kept him from doing something stupid and uh, from having killed all these people. And he got a great, beautiful, and wonderful wife throughout that one. We saw that in chapter 25. In chapter 26, David had another opportunity to kill Saul. Saul was sleeping down there with his water jug and the spear, and they snuck up there, and they took it, and they got up in the hill, and they called him, Hey, I could have killed you. I've got your spear. And, Samuel, excuse me, and Saul realized that once again, David had a perfect opportunity to kill him. But David said, I will never kill the Lord's anointed. The Lord will have to deal with him, but he would not kill Saul. And this brings us up to this next chapter, chapter 27. David now finally gets so disgusted and so afraid that he runs to his enemies. Saul is facing, chasing him, trying to get him down. He's got 600 men responsible for him, plus their families. And finally he says, that's it, I'm going over to the Philistines. I'm going to go work for them. And so there in the Philistines, they let him be there, and he is living there, and he's kind of snakes, a uh, little sneaky, 
because what he does, he said, well, I shouldn't be near with you up in the king saying, this is not too good. Just give me a little place. How about that little town named Ziglag, and I'll take care of it for you. And he did. And from there, he had raids, and he'd go in, and here's that other side of David that's not as good. His MO was basically, we'll capture these people, take everything again, and then we kill them all. Because dead men tell no stories, no lies. And so it's like, we'll kill them all. And so David is in a very precarious situation. The Lord has told him, you are going to be the king. And David's like, yeah, but when? And here I am, I'm now working for the enemy. And how is God ever going to work in this situation? This is where it comes up in our passage right now where we're could. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn or follow on the screen. The passage we have is one of the stranger ones in the Old Testament. It's the story of Saul and the witch of Endor. And I want to confess right off the bat, I don't understand all of it. Maybe much of it. I don't know. As we go, we'll find out. But it is a strange passage. And in many ways, it's a tragic passage. God did choose Saul way back there, and we were in our passage in chapters 15, to be used by God to help Israel. But now Saul is desperate. And we can see it in the actions that he's going to take right here. Picking up the passage here, at that time, it's kind of a strange way where this, this section was cut for the Bible here, but at that time, the Philistines brought their military units together into one army to fight against Israel. Let me stop there for a minute. Rather than having little groups of Philistines just doing their own work, he said, let's get everybody together. We're going to be all in, and we're going to take out the Israelites. So, so Achish, he was the Philistine leader, he said to David, who was now working for him, he said, you know, of course, David, that you and your men must march out in the army with me. So you see, David's in a problem right here. It's like, what if he does? If he doesn't do that, he's in big trouble. If he does do it, then all the people in Israel are going to hate him. He's you know, working for the Philistines. So David is in a very difficult situation right here. And so the guy said to him, Achish said, you know, of course, that you and your men must march out of the army with you. David replied to Achish, oh, good, you can find out what your servant can do. In other words, boy, you're just lying like crazy here, David. But the point is, how do I get out of this situation? I don't want to be accused of killing my own people, the people of the Lord. So Achish said to David, well, very well, I'll appoint you as my permanent bodyguard. And I'm sure David's going, oy vey, just what I don't need. Not only do they hate me because now I'm not working for the Philistines, but I'm this bodyguard. But of course, Achish said, well, he was pretty good when he was a kid with a sling and a stone. So maybe that's why I liked it. Notice what happens. By this time, and this is an important part of the story, by this time, Samuel had died. It seemed like as long as Samuel was alive and ministering, there was at least some kind of things he could work with, with Saul. But now with the death of Saul, I mean, excuse me, now with the death of Samuel, Saul is like going downhill. And it gets very, very sad. By this time, Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him. They buried him in Ramah, that was his home place, his city. And then it has this strange phrase, like, why bring this up? It says, and Saul had removed all the mediums and spiritists from the land. It's like, well, that's interesting, but why do we care about knowing that? Because it's an important part of the story. So notice what happens in this next verse. By this time, and this is one, let me just give you an idea of what's going on. By this time, Samuel had died. All Israel had mourned for him. They buried him in Ramah, his city. And Saul had removed, notice these things I underlined, the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Now, you may remember that a while back we did a series dealing with spiritual warfare. 
And you may remember we said at that point, the Old Testament had very little things that we might call demonic compared to the New Testament. It's kind of like when Jesus suddenly gets into the law, into, there into his ministry, there's a lot of demonic. Because here you've got Jesus Christ, the Son of God, now dealing with the demonic world that would do anything they could do to destroy him. But in the Old Testament, there are still things you can see that are strange, things that are not of the Lord, things that are of, certainly of evil. So they have different works. Ne necromancers, a person who can maybe try to understand what's going on. The Hebrew word is ob. It's kind of like this strange word. The other terms you hear is a medium. That's the one that they're going to use here. A medium, they thought, was a person who can maybe contact the dead and have a relationship and talk to them. What the words often they use, medium or witch, spiritist, a familiar spirit, they're all kind of describing the same thing. Those that are coming up from the underworld, from Sheol or something, or the grave. And that's what's going on. So here it gets really kind of creepy. And for Saul, he is so desperate. And here's what's going on, if you look in this next passage. Chapter, chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 18 made it absolutely clear. Also, you see it in the uh, book of Numbers as well. Deuteronomy 18, 10 to 12 said this, no one among you is to make his son or daughter to pass through the fire. Some of the Canaanite groups would take their child, their baby, and throw it into the fire as something to give to the, to, to, to the, uh, the leaders. And it said, he said, our pastor of the fire, practice divination, tell fortunes, interpret omens, practice sorcery, cast spells, consult a medium or a familiar spirit, or inquire of the dead. That's pretty much a very broad thing of saying, here's all these things that people in the cultures around us do. This is not what we do as God's people. We fully entrust ourselves to God. And it's for him who decides when death and life comes and things like that. But we will have nothing to do with this. In fact, the punishment is like death for those who would do this. And Samuel is dead. But Saul is alive, and Saul is very, very desperate. And he is the one who made laws saying, we will follow what Deuteronomy says. We're never going to allow spiritists and all these strange people to live there and to be living among us. So notice what happens back at the story in verse 4. The Philistines came together, capped at Shunem. This is probably, if you kind of think in a map, if you think of you realize like the Sea of Galilee is up there. This is about maybe 18 miles south of there. They're getting ready for the big battle. And Saul knows that it's going to be tough. All the Philistines, they're all in, and they're all coming for him. When Saul saw the Philistine camp, he was afraid and trembled violently. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him in dreams or by the Urim or by the prophets. You can see how, how excuse me, you can see how much, how a person, you know, who started so well, Saul, and now he's in this situation, there's no one to help. He's turned away from the Lord. He's turned away from what the Lord told him to do. And it said the Lord didn't answer by dreams or Urim or by the prophets. And what he has here, it's interesting, the three major ways that God maybe communicated to his people, at least at that time, we would assume. Because we know that God did work through dreams in the Old Testament. We think of Joseph and things like that. We obviously have it in the New Testament. Of course, as we're seeing, there's many of these things happen in South Africa, I mean, in Africa, in the Middle East, where people are having dreams about the Lord. And we're grateful for that. 
But here it's saying, here is one of the ways that God communicated to his people was through dreams. The other one is he could do it by the Urim. And to be honest with you, no one knows exactly how it works. So if you have a great theory about it, that's great, because there's probably about eight other people that have good theories, and they're probably just as well as another. We don't know. Some people think somehow it was like a yes or no thing. Like maybe, you know, they had like these gold things on them, and maybe they would glow or something for a yes answer. That's one possibility. Other people thought there was a noise that they heard. We don't know. But whatever it was, there was a time where God used this Urim as part of the ephod that the priest wore, particularly the, the priest, that would give them some knowledge, yes or no, should we do this or not. The third one is the most common one, is the prophets. And the sad thing is, here is Saul. He's not getting any dreams. He's not getting anything from the Urim. In fact, he's killed all the priests, except the one that escaped, Biathar. And now, even the prophets are not helping him. This is a man that's terribly alone. This is a man that is desperate. And he's going down, and now in this passage, he goes even down even more. Verse 7, Saul then said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium so I can go and consult her. Now just think about it. This is the man that wrote the law saying we're not going to have any of those mediums or sorcerers. So you've got the guy who makes the law who now wants to break the law because he's desperate. Find me a woman who's a medium so I can go consult her. His servants replied, well, there is a woman at Endor who is a medium. Now, right away, if I was Saul, I said, how did you know there was one of these people here? But at this point, he is so desperate, he'll take whatever he can get. And he is desperate, as we see in this next passage. Saul disguised himself by put on different clothes. He didn't look like a king. And they set out with two of his men. They came to the woman. This is the woman who's going to give him the, pro the, the knowledge. And, said, and Saul said, consult a spirit for me. Bring up for me the one I want to tell you. In other words, I want you to bring up the dead person. In this case, it's going to be the prophet Samuel. So the woman said to him, you surely know what Saul has done. Of course, she doesn't know that this is Saul she's talking to. You surely know what Saul has done, how he's killed all the mediums and spiritists in the land. Why are you setting a trap for me to get me killed? Then Saul swore to her by the Lord. Oh, as surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad's going to happen to you because of this. Here's another tragic irony. Here it says, as surely as Yahweh, literally, as surely as, as Yahweh lives, this won't happen. It's like, you're using this oath to Yahweh God, and you have turned away from him, and now you want him to help you bring up somebody from the dead? In other words, he is telling, he's dropping down more and more, and his desperation is growing deeper and deeper. And so he's saying, I, I want to talk to someone. And so, verse 11, who is it that you want me to bring up for you? The woman asked. Bring up Samuel for me, he answered. And here's where it gets strange. If I was like Samuel, like, hey, listen, I'm dead. You know, I'm not doing this stuff anymore. I don't know why God in his mercy or maybe God in his decisions decided to do this, but he does let him do it. And it could be that God did it for the purpose of helping, well, letting him know just how deep trouble he was and how far from God he has come. The woman said, he said, bring up the Samuel for me, he answered. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed. And then she asked Saul, why did you deceive me? You are Saul. But the king said to her, don't be afraid. Uh, what do you see? 
here's where it gets creepier again. I see a spirit form coming out of the earth. It could be either translated as earth or dirt, whatever your translation is. But something out of the grave, something that's been under there, is some form of this is coming up. And Samuel realizes that this is the man that he had spent so much time with trying to help Saul. And here we've got Saul desperately afraid, thinking that he and his family could be killed. And he's saying, listen, why are you doing this? Saul asked her, what does it look like? The old, and the woman said, an old man is coming up, she replied, and he's wearing a robe. I was like, yeah, like everybody's wearing robes. I mean, I, but somehow they knew what robe that was. Then Samuel knew that that was, excuse me, Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed his face to the ground and paid homage. And then verse 16 is so sad. This is Samuel speaking. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Again, I told you this is a strange passage. Why? I'm not sure. But I think it's something where it was like the final statement to, to Saul saying, you're now hitting bottom. Samuel asked Saul, I'm in serious trouble, replied Saul. That's an understatement. He's in deep, deep trouble. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has turned away from me. All because he has turned away from God regularly. He, he, God, doesn't answer me anymore, either through the prophets or through the dreams. And so I've called on you to tell me what I should do. Samuel answered, since the Lord has turned away from you and you have become your enemy, why are you asking me? The Lord has done exactly what he said through me. The Lord has torn the kingship out of your hand, Saul, and has given it to your neighbor, David. In other words, you're done. You're cooked. It's all over. And so Samuel says to Saul, you did not obey the Lord, and you did not carry out his wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this to you today. Going all the way back to the beginning of our series, the fact that the Amalekites were the ones that in Deuteronomy we're talking about, that the people that were trying to get out of, the, out of the Egypt and along their journeys, the Amalekites would be all along them, the people who were struggling, the people who had babies and children, they would come in and they would kill them or else just put them into slavery. We see that later in passages where it talks about the Amalekites did this and the Amalekites killed these Jewish people. And all this is going on. But the thing that really did it was in chapter 15, was in chapter 15 where, where it said, Saul, I want you to do this. I'm going to come be with you. Uh, I'll be there. But he, Saul is late. And Saul decides himself that he's going to offer the sacrifices. And Samuel comes and said, I thought you told me you were going to wait for me. Well, you weren't there, so I had to do it. And he said, and, and I told you to destroy all of it, animals, things, to everything. And he said, uh, why do I hear the sound of bleeding? I mean, it sounds like there's some animals here. Well, you know, the men made them do it. I wasn't, I wasn't really part of that. And it's another lousy, different thing trying to describe it and push it off on others. And he said, you know what? Because you have not fully followed me, you will never continue as king. Now, he did for a number of years. But the reality is, you're not going to have a long range like that to do it. And so it's very tragic. He said, therefore, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will also hand Israel over to the Philistines along with you. Now notice this. Tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. That's in the grave or in Sheol. 
be with me tomorrow and your sons will be with me and the Lord will hand Israel's army over to the Philistines. It's not just you, Saul, they're going to be killed. Your boys are going to be killed. And not only that, but all the guys that are over there you're supposed to be leading, many of them are going to die as well because of your disobedience. Saul fell flat on the ground. He was terrified by Samuel's words. And he was also weak because he didn't have any food all day and all night. And here the medium, the woman who does this, at least she's gracious, I guess, to her, I guess, if you can think of a good medium. The woman came over to Saul, and she saw that he was terrified and said to him, Look, your servant has obeyed you. I took my life in my hands and, and, and did, did what you told me to do. She's afraid that she might get killed. Now, please listen to your servant. Let me set some food in front of you, Saul. Eat what? And, I mean, eat, and I'll give you strength and so you can go on your way. He refused, saying, I won't eat. But when the servants and the woman are, are, are urged him, he listened to them. He got up on the ground, and he sat on the bed. The woman had a fatted calf at her home, and she quickly slaughtered it. She also took four, uh, flour and kneaded it and bread of unleavened bread. She served it to Saul and his servants, and they ate. Afterwards, they got up and left that night. And what happened, of course, was exactly what God was going to tell him, what had told him. You're going to come out. You're going to be, go out to battle. And your men are going to be slaughtered, just like you are, and Jonathan, and Malkishua, and they're all going to die. And what started with a good man who wanted to follow God, you ended up with a broken, desperate man who refused to fully follow his Lord. It's a passage that reminds us that some people that start very, very well don't always end well. You can look at lots of passages in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, where it's like, wow, that guy started great. What happened to him? What happened to her? And how is it people that are doing so great spiritually can suddenly, it seems like, Somehow they've just hit bottom. And it's very, very tragic. There's a passage, I mean, that, a favorite thing I had from, from uh, whatever his name is, again, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And what he had this great when he said this, faith and obedience are bound up in the same bundle. He that obeys God trusts God, and he that trusts God obeys God. It's a nice quote. See, a lot of us are saying, oh, yeah, I love God. I love God. Oh, yeah, a whole lot. Good. That's great. Do you, do you, do you, do you obey him? Hmm, well, depends. I mean, what is it he's asking me to do? See, the reality is a lot of us have selective obedience. When it works for us and it doesn't cost us too much, well, then we're interested in that. But if it's something that's tough, if it's something where he's calling us to step out into an area that maybe is difficult for us, that maybe is fearful for us, He's saying, will you trust me? Will you be obedient to what I've asked you to do? The reality is, oops, excuse me, I went too far. The reality is that a lot of us want to be followers of the Lord, want to do what he says, but over time and sorrow and the struggles of life, it just seems to melt away. And the Lord is saying, are you willing to follow me wherever, whatever, and to serve me with all your heart. Saul never thought he would end up that way, but he did. 
And it was not just he who paid the price for him and his family. It was, for, as far as we know, hundreds or thousands of men that were looking to him to leadership and were slaughtered there at Galboa. It raises the question for each of us, are we all in in terms of obeying the Lord or do we obey when that works for us or it doesn't cost us too much? I think it'd be a good thing for us to be thinking this, about this message. Where am I in terms of obedience? It's easy to talk about love. Oh, I love you, God. Love you, God. Okay, well, do what I tell you to do. Jesus talked about that a lot in the New Testament. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I tell you to do? Father, we thank you for this strange passage. We confess to you that we don't understand all of this how you would bring dead Samuel back, Saul back to, Samuel back to life to talk to Saul. and Father, but yet we recognize that you often work in strange ways that we don't understand. But Father, help, the story, help us with this story of Saul to recognize how people that often start well do not often end well. Help us, Father, by the power of the spirit that you've given us that dwells within us, that, Father, we would be all in in terms of obedience with you not when it's convenient, whatever it is when you call us to do, to serve you in the way that we could be used by you. Be with us now. Help us as we continue with our service. Help us, Father, as we prepare for the Lord's table. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.